Thank you so much. Talita, you should speak more often, man. Next week, come around and I'll give you 10 minutes next week. Okay, good morning, everyone. We are continuing where we ended last week. Uh, spoke a little bit about the prodigal son. We looked, about the young, looked at the younger son today. We'll try and see how far we get. Um, there's so much in here and even, I don't know why this always happens, but Sunday mornings I, I get up early every morning but then go through the teaching or whatever I have and then just more and more stuff comes and I'm thinking, dear Lord, you know I've got to be there like in two hours. You can't do this and more and more. So I have no idea where we're going to end, what's going to happen, but uh, it's going to be good. So um, I wanted to ask you guys, when did Nick come here? Was it last year? Last year, um, for those of you who were here, uh, Dr. Nick Castellano came to the church and he spoke. He's a writer. Uh, he's a doctor. He's amazing. And he speaks about quantum physics and things like that. And um, just when I came to America, Tiffany and I, which is almost eight, eight years, next month is eight years, uh, Gregory, my brother-in-law, gave me this book, and he said, read this book. It's about quantum physics. I said, no, thank you very much. But <laughs> I said, I couldn't even pass physics at school, never mind quantum physics. He said, it's very easy. I said, you don't know my brain. To you, what's easy is not easy for me, so no thank you. So he said, just read. So I read it. In any case, an amazing book. And then last year, through friends of ours here at church, Dr. Nick came to this church to speak and it was, I think, phenomenal. It was amazing what he had to say and opened the word and so on. But now what happened was he had to be picked up at the airport. So I had the honor and the privilege of going to the airport on a Friday night, about 9 o'clock, half past 9, 10, to pick him up. So I drove to the airport. But before I went to the airport, all I have of this man is his book that he wrote couple of years ago, and the picture on the book that was even pre-book, <laughs> and the picture that is normally this big is now this small on the back of a book, and it's difficult to see what this man looks like in 2000 and last year when the picture was taken many, many years ago when he was young and strapping and strong and put it on the back of a book. So I'm standing at Richmond Airport with his book in my hand, and I'm thinking, I must look like such a fool. Because I'm at the gateway, he's coming through, and people are walking, and I didn't make a board that said, welcome, Dr. Nick, you know, but I'm standing there with a book. <laughs> because I don't want to miss the man, but now I'm, I'm you know, I'm looking, I'm looking, someone comes around the corner, and I look, is it, is it him? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. No, I don't know. So in any case, so I'm sitting and I'm looking and I'm looking and a gentleman walks up to me and he says, oh, you must be rifle. And I'm thinking, prophetic man over here, you know, this is wow. So he says, they told me you had to, I must just look for the guy with the beard, so it's got to be you. <laughs> so he found me. I didn't find him. But the question that I'm asking is, when you walk past people, when people walk past you, what picture of Jesus are you carrying? Because if you, you know, there's an advert on TV. What do you have in your wallet? So what do you have in your heart about Jesus? 
do you walk around holding up the wrong picture and saying, this is the Jesus that we serve, and people miss him because it's not the true him? Because you see, the world is looking for Jesus. Whether they admit it, whether they want to say that they believe or don't believe, they're looking for that Savior. They're looking for grace and truth. But many times, because the church has a wrong picture, when we go and introduce him, they look at the picture and they say, no, that's not what I'm looking for, and they pass by. So what picture do you and I carry of Jesus? That's what we said last week. Remember, Old Covenant, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. To do what? Preach the gospel to the poor, open the eyes of the blind, set free the captives, Bring liberty to those. That's the picture that we should be showing. I was wondering if I should do this. Zach, you can do it. I'm, I'm going to do it. Ima- imagine, imagine somebody gives you that picture and says, go pick up past the rifle at the airport. Do you think you might walk straight past me not knowing? My loving sister looks at that and says, man, you were so drunk or high in that picture. I don't know what it, I wasn't. Uh, uh, that's just my normal look. <laughs> so I am thankful this last week that I did have hair at one stage in my life, and I enjoyed it. Thank you, Zach. That's enough. Thank you. <laughs> but you could walk straight past me in the airport Get to your car, go home, and when someone says, what happened? You can say, rifle wasn't there, and pass right by me. The woman at the well had a picture of what the Messiah would look like. And that picture was so secure in her mind of what he was and who he was, that she walked straight by the Messiah, yet having a picture of who he is and what he will do and how Things will be different when he comes and completely missed him. And we can go through person after person after person in the Bible that walked past Jesus, that walked past God, that walked past love because they had a different picture that they carried with them. So what picture do you and I carry of Jesus? You see, the picture that I had When I just got saved on the 3rd of March, 1992, it was amazing. Something happened, and this is the most wonderful thing I think about being reborn, is that no one can ever take that away from you. You see, because there's so many books and movies and documentaries why Jesus isn't real and why Christianity isn't this, and people have doctorates and they can explain everything. But you see, they were not there that night. They can't say to me that what happened to me that night was not real. They can't do that because they were not there. I was. I, I, I know what happened that night. And I know that when I walked out of that room that night, I was a changed human being. And your book and your theory and your theology and your wisdom and your is not going to take that away from me. But I had a picture of Jesus in my wallet, the Jesus that I'd heard about for the previous 19, 20 years of my life. 
And that night, the Jesus that I met didn't line up with the picture that I carried and the picture that I heard about. So I was confused. I knew I'd been changed. If you ask me what happened, I can't explain to you. All I know now is that it was being reborn. My spirit had been brought to life. My flesh had then been crucified with Christ in the life that I started living then. I lived through the life of Jesus, not my own anymore. I know what it is now, but then I didn't. I had no idea, but I was there. You weren't, so you can't take that away from me. But I went home maybe three weeks later because I was living at the res um, at university. And me and my friends who were saved, and man, we had the love of God on the inside of us. We would walk around with T-shirts that said, turn or burn. <laughs> That's the love. That's the love of Christ that compelled us to lay down our lives for others and to show people what Jesus looked like. It was a t-shirt and a jacket that said, turn or burn, which is truth. If you don't turn to Jesus, you will burn in hell. But wow, is there not a different way that you can get the gospel across? But that's all I knew. That's all we knew. We were a whole group. And we were saved. But man, we were saved and you weren't. And three weeks ago, we were at a party and we did this and this and this. And we're different now and you not. You're still the same sinner that we were three weeks ago. And how dare you? And now we could wear shirts that said, if you don't become like me, you will go to hell. Because we had a different picture of Jesus, because we had been taught a different picture for 19 years, week after week, going to church, going to school, hearing people talk on behalf of Jesus. But the only reason they could talk about that Jesus, because they had a wrong picture. And you see, so it goes from generation to generation, from father to son to grandson, if it's all wrong. So when I got saved, I went home, I remember about three weeks later, now, you have to remember, I get in a car that my mom and dad bought. It's my mom and dad's car. We are f five people in the family. Three of us need cars. My mom and dad count as one. They need cars. I need a car. My sister needs a car. My brother needs a car. There aren't five cars. There are two, but I got one. It's their car. So I put on the clothes that they bought for me. I get in the car that... They own their car. I drive to their house that I'm living in. I'm not paying any rent. I'm eating their food. And I go and I sit down and I take out this. And I start bashing my mother with this. And I tell her how bad she is. And I tell her how she didn't raise me up in the way of the Lord. And they do this and they do that. And uh, because the love of Christ was just flowing out of me. I was compelled by the love of God to tell everyone how wicked they were and how wrong they were and how righteous and good I am now that, that the blood of Jesus has saved me and I'm going to heaven and you are not. It's a miracle that my mom is here today. There's my mom and my dad, both in church. Because I had the wrong picture. I had the wrong mindset. I was lied to about the book, the gospel, the Christ. But praise God, 
the longer I stayed with him and allowed him to change me. And the more I got in this book, the more I started reading and seeing, my goodness, I have to throw this old picture away and I have to put a new picture in my wallet and carry that around so that when people do walk past me looking for Christ, they find the right one. Because there are a lot of people out there preaching Christ, but the wrong one. They have an old picture, and people are walking by missing the grace and truth. So what's in your wallet? What's in your heart today? Um, let's go to Luke chapter 15. Let's see there. We did this last week. The prodigal son. There is so much in here, and the more I stay in, in these couple of verses, the more I can't get away, and the more I see. There's so much we have to read in this parable that is not said. There's so many things that are left to the imagination. And the longer you sit and read and think and ponder, the more it just opens up and you see things and notice things. So... Um, we definitely won't be able to finish it all, but we, we're going to see how far we can get here. So he said, we'll start in verse 1 and 3 there. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him. They wanted to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. There's a is a church, I'm not going to say the name, I'm not in church bashing and bashing people, not at all, but when I was in Taiwan, there was a, a spat of deaths that happened, and, and, and one of them happened to be a homosexual actor, and this homosexual actor died, and at his funeral, this church stood at the funeral with banners saying, you know, this is God's judgment because you're a homosexual, they used other words, and this is God's judgment for you, and you die because you, and the next day when I walked into the office at school, because I was the only Christian in my office, people, to everyone, all the other foreigners from Canada and Europe, and Africa, they, they, now they wonder, and they are, your God, look what your God, look at your people, I, I didn't know what was going on. And then I found out in the news that this had happened. And there's a church that go to places where people die who are homosexual. And they quote the scriptures that say, you know, God will punish you and this is God. And, and that's not God. That's not Jesus today. That's not how we spread the gospel. So the Pharisees here, they were angry because Jesus received sinners and he ate with them. I'm so grateful that Jesus sat down and ate with me when I was still a sinner and not saved yet. Because if he did not sit down with me and took the time to eat a meal with me when I was a sinner, I could never become a saint. I was a sinner, now I'm saved by grace. Can't be both. If you are a sinner, get saved. But we hear about, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. You one or the other. You were a sinner or you are saved by grace. And the enemy doesn't want people to come from this camp of being sinners into the gospel of grace. So they were angry, the Pharisees. They were angry at Jesus because he, he received these people and he ate with them. So Jesus spoke up and he said, he's going to tell a little parable. 
So a certain man, we know the whole thing here, and just for time's sake, we're going to skip a little bit here. And, and the first problem to me personally is because I heard all my life when I started hearing this in 1993, because this is a, a nice thing to preach on. I started hearing about this son, the youngest one, who took his money and went to the prostitutes. He went to the harlots, and that's how he spent all of his money. So now if you go into this parable and you start reading here, in verse 11, this is the New King James, a certain man had two sons, a younger one of them said to his father, give me the portion of my goods. In other words, you are dead to me. Give me my inheritance. So the father divided to them. Who's the them? Two boys. Father's got two boys. So the younger one comes and says, give me. And the father says, okay, but he gives to the other son as well. Now, I would think then, then that the older son would go to the young and say, bro, man, wow, thank you so much. That's amazing. Dad's not dead and look at everything that I have. Didn't do that, but he got his inheritance right there and then. Okay, so he's got all this money, got all this inheritance. So then the father divided it. Not many days after the younger son gathered all and left. So he didn't leave immediately. He didn't plan take the stuff and go. He planned, took the stuff, and when he had the stuff, something started changing in his mind. And then, not long after that, then he took and he left. So it wasn't a take and run. It was a take, think about, what am I going to do? Do I? And then he left. So he's gone with the stuff. And it says here, not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, to me, the, the first problem here is prodigal living. Because I heard all my years, he went and he went to the prostitutes and the hookers and that's where he spent his money, prodigal living. Now, if you look up in the Greek, this word prodigal is Strong's Concordance G811. Asotos, which does not in the Greek say prostitutes or hookers. This word is only used one time in the whole scripture. One time. And if you go and read, it does not say hookers and all of that stuff. If you go and look in English words that are synonyms to this word, it speaks about some places immoral, some places saying wild living. So... You can't prove to me that it was hookers. I can't prove to you that it was not. But that specific word is only used once in the whole Bible, and that word does not say he went to be with hookers. He could have gambled. He could have drank. He could have uh, given money, saying to people, you will pay 10 times back if you come. I'll loan you some money. All of these things could have been immoral and wrong. Yes? Okay, good. Right. So now he goes and he goes away into the field. He's feeding swine. He would have gladly filled his stomach with that. Then a famine came, and then he came to himself. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough? So he goes to the father. He's got the speech. 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He arose, came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, kissed him, and he said to the son, and now he said, the son says, I have sinned, and everything he wants to say, I'm not worthy. But the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe, my robe, put it on him, a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf here, kill it, let us... Let us all eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So now, as I said last week, he couldn't be lost because he knew how to go back home. He couldn't be dead because he's standing in front of the dad. He's going to eat a fatted calf. He's not dead. So lost and dead had to mean in the mind. He was completely lost and dead. So you can still be alive and breathing, but you are lost. You can leave Abba's house, still be a son, but you can be lost and dead, but you're still breathing. So he comes back, and now he's found. Now he's back in the house. But it says here that he squandered his inheritance. In this situation, what was his inheritance? Money. Father took the things, a portion that belonged to him, gave to him, and he went, and he squandered that. Now he comes back. So he gave up his inheritance. But dear child of God, do you, do you realize the inheritance that you and I have? Do you realize we have an inheritance? Are we aware of the inheritance that was given to us as soon as we stepped into Christ? As soon as we were seated in heavenly places. As soon as we have been blessed with all things, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you, that's an inheritance. It's ours. Okay. So many times we in the church, we leave Abba's house and we squander our inheritance. But the good thing is when he came back, the inheritance of father still had more at home. It wasn't finished. See, so you're living with the pigs and you going to a country and joining yourself to somebody else. You're a son, you're lost. But as soon as you come back to Abba's house, there's more than enough in the house once again. So that when you do come to your senses and you're in your right mind and you come home and you say, man, I blew it. I was wrong. I don't deserve Abba's. Come, let's be merry. You back. It's all that matters. You back in the home. I can be your Abba again and you can be my son. So no matter how we squander our inheritance. Now we'll look just the two little parts of inheritance here. Um, let's go to Galatians 5.22. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So this is our inheritance, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness. That is your inheritance. And we have to realize in the story that both boys had an inheritance. The younger one who left the house and the older one who left the house. They both left the house. Different reasons, very different reasons. Younger one to party, to see what is in the world. Older one to work so that he could get the gifts, so that he could be um, 
you know, people could come to him and say, you're amazing because you work so hard. But, but none of them at that stage were in Abba's house. They were both out. And they both had, we both have, whether today you're a Pharisee, born-again Pharisee, or you're just the son that left the house to go and party, you have an inheritance. And it's love, it's joy, it's all of these things. That is our inheritance. Now, just for interest's sake, when you go and read Luke chapter 15 again, and, and go and look at these. And look, did the young son, did he, did he because the dad, the father practiced all of it. The father, man, he had love. Wow. He had love for the older son. He had love for the younger son. He was just filled with love. Whether he squandered everything or whether he's working so hard, the dad just has love. And he deals with every son according to where the son is. Okay? He didn't deal with the one son according to where the other son was or where the son wasn't. He dealt with him where he was. So he had love. He had joy. I mean, the father, when the son comes back, he hugs him. He kisses. He said, let's make merry. Let's have a party. The father was filled with joy. But now you can go through, did the younger son, did he have love? No, he didn't because he said to his father, you are like dead to me. So give me the stuff. Let me go. That's not love. Did the older son have love? No, he didn't because he went outside. And when the father came and said, your, your brother is back, he said, look, your son, there was no love. So, so, so the two sons, different places they find themselves, they were both not walking in the love of Abba. So you go through love, joy, peace, patience. You go through every one of them and look, did the older son have it? Did the younger son have it? And then make sure that you and I are never the older or the younger son. Make sure that we stay in the house. Make sure that we partake of our inheritance every day. So that when a younger brother should leave, we know how the father acted toward him. When an older son should be outside the house, we see how the father acted toward him. So that's that. Then we'll go to another verse that talks about inheritance. Um, no, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, 11 to 14. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. In him. When you die to self, when you became reborn, there was an inheritance immediately. It's yours. Didn't have to work. Didn't have to sweat. Didn't have to do anything. All you had to do was die. And when you die to self and stepped and entered into him, there was an inheritance already prepared before you, before the foundation of the earth was made. Are you and I using that inheritance? Do we even know what that inheritance is? If we should take a paper and hand out a paper to everyone and say, write me a one-page essay on the inheritance that is yours right now and how you are using that, would we be able to do that? Because we have an inheritance. What good is this inheritance if you don't use it? What good is it if you have all of these things available to you but complain that you just don't have enough? So what is your inheritance? So here, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Sealed. It's closed. You know what sealed me? It's closed up. 
There are adverts now on TV where the guy cuts a boat in half and he says, if you put this on here, it will seal it. Water will not get in. You can ride in shark-infested waters and this seal will not break. If people can seal something like that, you know how good the Holy Spirit must seal your spirit once you're reborn? Because you see, sometimes people are like, maybe the Holy Spirit, you know, he leaked out. I'm low on Holy Ghost today. Well, where did he go? Well, he, he, he can't because he's sealed. He's sealed. There, word. He's sealed. And he's the guarantee. Not your actions, not your thoughts, not everything. The Holy Spirit is your guarantee of you being sealed, of you being a son. So just walk in the Spirit And you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In the church, we got it wrong. We said, don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, and then you will be in the spirit. No, it's the other way around. Because people are striving and working and trying so hard to not sin, not sin, so that I can have more of Holy Spirit. No, walk in. He's your guarantee. He sealed you. Walk in him, and you won't want to sin. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Put your minds on things above. Stop thinking about your wrongdoing and condemning yourself. And I'm so bad and I never can't. And why would God love? Man, the spirit was given as a seal and he is my guarantee. Wow. It's Thanksgiving. Can we just, man? He's my guarantee. I may have screwed up bad sometimes, but man, I have a guarantee. One that will, by the way, never leave me nor forsake me. So why would we sometimes leave and forsake people when they act not like a son? If he doesn't. If he sticks and doesn't let go and holds on and counsels and guides and teaches and comforts, why would we not? So that's the inheritance that we have. So we'll carry on here. 25. Now his oldest son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked, what are these things? What do they mean? He said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe, your father killed a fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out, pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, These many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as the son son of yours came back, still his brother, but now he's the son of yours, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. Oh, That's where it comes from. Who has harlots on his mind? (laughs) This is so messed up. Because Jesus, when Jesus came, Jesus comes in Matthew 5, and what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is not a sermon because it says Jesus sat down and taught the people. He taught them, and he goes on and he says, If you have adultery and perform the act, even just in your 
It's as if you have done it. So my question is, you can't prove to me that it's not. I can't prove to you that it is. But nowhere in this story does it say, according to that word, prodigal living, that it was harlots. But the older, how did he know? Because in the story, no servant came to him. No one came and told him, hey, your brothers were the hookers out on that street over there. Your brothers were those ladies. Your brother. No one said that in the story. But that's the first thing he mentions to his dad. Do you know how many people are in church and they look at people who are outside wishing they could do that too? But they serve out of work, not out of love. There's a difference in serving him because you love him and serving him because of your righteousness. So that one day when this is all over, you owe me. I need to get to heaven because, man, look at my life. So he says to the father, that son of yours, he has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and you killed a fatted calf for him. He said unto him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and was found. Two of us in here were not a lost brother, a younger brother out in the world. Who of us here can say, never did anything wrong. We don't, we, we don't know what it feels like to leave the Father's house, squander our inheritance to end up with absolute nothing. Now, you may end up with nothing in your finances. You may end up with nothing in your health. You may end up with nothing in relationships. There are different ways because the end of sin is death. Sin just brings death. That's why God doesn't want you to sin. Not so that you don't have fun, but he's against death. He doesn't want you to die. He died so that you can have life. But you continue in sin. There are things that are connected to that, and you open the door to the enemy to come and get you to kill. Where finances, health, uh, family, relationships, work, whatever it may be. And we were all there. So we must just make sure that we are not the younger son or the older one. We must just make sure that we treat People like the dad, like the Abba did all the time. Because sometimes you find yourself both ways. I did. As I say, as soon as I got home, I took this Bible and I was the older son. And I sat my mother down and I told her, man, I told her. Forgetting. every, I've had a couple of operations in my life. I mean, it's so stupid when you go back. But that's what Jesus says. That, that's what it says in Luke 4.18 where Jesus came. He said, I'll open the eyes of the blind. Because I forgot every single time I had an operation. I broke my nose in rugby, had an operation, had to fix it. I've, every time I had an operation, and when I, when I came and when I was out of the operation and I opened my eyes, there was my mom next to the bed. But when I had this to bash her, that was not even in my mind. Righteousness, self-righteousness is a very dangerous place to be. Self-righteousness makes you horrible, makes you nasty, makes you ugly, and does not bring forth the true love of God, self-righteousness. Righteousness does, because you remember where you were. If I'd gone home and had the right picture in my wallet, wow, I could have maybe done some things at home that wouldn't have caused as much damage as I did. But man, I was the righteous son. The older son didn't do very well. But praise God, I had another chance. And the more I stuck with him, the more I saw. And the more I stick with him, the more I see. 
So we're just going to look at this. I love Luke chapter 18 and 19 in the Bible. They're just two, it's, it's on the same page in many Bibles. Because when I read the Bible now, I change the way I read the Bible. What I mean by that is I now often more look for the things Jesus didn't do or didn't say than for the things he did do or did say. Because he could have said so much more, but he didn't because he says, I only say what the Father tells me to say. So if you didn't say that, it means the Father didn't want you to say that. So I see now in the Word where I just looked verse for verse, literally now I, I come to a place in the Bible and I look what Jesus didn't say. And I look what he didn't do. And that brings out so much revelation to me as well. The, the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8, they come and they bring this woman who was caught in the middle of the act of adultery, preached on that. What Jesus didn't say to the Pharisees who brought her was, you know, according to your law, you have to bring the man that was caught in adultery with her. You bring him here and then we'll continue with this. Jesus didn't say that, but he could have. He had the right because according to their law, which they were bringing this woman there, Jesus could have said, okay, you're right. The law says we need to stone her. But the law also says bring both. The man that was caught in adultery, so go back and bring him. And then Jesus didn't say that. Because you see, he's not out to shame people. He's not out to get people. That's why he came, so that sins can be forgiven. So we have here in, in Luke 18 and 19, we have this, the, the rich young ruler, the word says. And he comes to Jesus. He falls down. He says, oh, master, teacher, you're so, what should I do that I may inherit? We have an inheritance. You don't have to do anything to inherit. It's relationship. You see, you can only inherit something through relationship. You can't inherit something from somebody if you're not related. It comes through relationship. So he first comes, he says, what works? What must I do that I may inherit? And Jesus says, have you obeyed? He said, all of those things I've done from the time I was young. Man, what am I going to get? Jesus says, okay, it's great, wonderful, buddy. Just one thing. Go and sell what you have and give it to the poor. And he that comes and says that he does all things and he obeys all the law, at the end of that story, Jesus reveals to him the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He couldn't even do that because he loved his possessions more. So he's thinking he's obeying all the Ten Commandments. He's doing all these laws. And Jesus says, you've slipped up on the first one. You can't even do that because you love what you have more than you do people. And then on the other side of the page in the Bible, you have Jesus coming to Zacchaeus. Man, this guy takes money from his people to pay the ra I mean, this, this is not a nice man. A chief tax collector. And once again, Jesus says to the sinner, he says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down, my friend. Today, I must sup with you. And once again, the Pharisees, and they get bent out of shape because he's spending time with sinners, and it's so bad. And the goodness of God, the grace and truth enters the house. And Zacchaeus himself, without Jesus pointing a finger and telling him what a sinner he is, he says, man, I'm so sorry. I've stolen. I will give back. I'll do all of that. And Jesus says, yes, because today salvation has come to your house. 
Not today the law was brought to your house. Not condemnation. Not the finger. Today salvation has come to your house. And so many times salvation comes, but because of the wrong picture that we have, we don't recognize it and we think it's wrong. So this guy, this older brother comes and he's very much like the rich young ruler in obeying everything. But we see that the father says certain things to him and and he's just not getting it. The older brother doesn't honor his father, number one. Because the father says, hey, come in. He says, no. There's honor. Honor your father and your mother. Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, I believe, somewhere there. Honor your father and your mother so that it will be well with you in the land that I give you. Number one, first, there's a commandment. Honor your father and your mother. He's working so hard in the field, but he honors the land more than his dad. He honors the sweat of his brow more than his father. And his father comes and he says, your brother is home. And he's like, no, your son did this and did that. So number one, the father could have said, so Jesus here, who's he telling this parable to? To the Pharisees. This is for them. So just like that rich young ruler who couldn't even obey the first one, this guy is not honoring his dad. And that's what self-righteousness does. Man, you think you are so right. Meanwhile, your mind is wrong and you're doing the wrong thing, thinking that doing the wrong thing, you're going to reap something. And when the end comes and you don't get it, it's not going to be good for you because of self-righteousness. So he's not honoring his dad. Um, He cared so little about his brother. He didn't even know that his brother returned. Had no idea. He knew that his brother was with the harlots. He knew that many, many miles away in a far away country. He knew that his brother was with the harlots, but when his brother was inside the house on the same property, he didn't know that he was there. And it's easy to see the mistakes over there. And you're doing that, and you're doing that, and you're not doing this, and you should be. But it's very, very hard to love over here. Another mistake of the older brother. He's upset because of his hard work and labor that is not recognized. John chapter 13 verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Because you see, man, there's so many different religions, different Christian churches, different beliefs, different people who have memorized Scripture, can preach, can teach. It's so amazing. But Jesus says, as phenomenal as all of that is, my children, when when you show my picture and you walk according to me, this is how the world will know that you truly know me, that you're one of mine. By this will all men know if you have love one for another. You judge people, we judge people by the love that they have. And if we see the love that Jesus had for us, that's why you and I can never go like Peter woke him up in the boat and said, do you not care that we perish? You and I can't say that anymore because he showed how much he cared by going to the cross. So that's a wrong mindset if you ever feel that he doesn't care about you. He went to the cross so that you should never ever 
be able to ask that question again. The love of God was settled. And the enemy comes and because of your wrongdoing, because of your action, because of you not acting like a son, he comes and he says, just like he did to Jesus, if you are, why is this happening? If you are, God would truly, no, God proved his love through the cross. End of story. So that you and I never have to worry about, think about, be concerned about the love of God. So by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and we can probably quote this, but I have not love. I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift, and we know all of these things. Man, you can move mountains. You speak with the tongues of angels. You can prophesy. You can, all of the gifts you're moving in. It's phenomenal. But Paul says, if you do not have love, it doesn't matter how good you preach. Doesn't matter how big your church is. Doesn't matter how amazing your prayer group is every week and how many people come. If you do not have love, you're like a symbol. We have a seven-year-old son who, when he was younger, I don't know if it was we offended someone or we did something wrong or they just didn't like us and they bought him a set of drums. <laughs> you want to hear an irritating sound? It's a young boy with no rhythm, no clue about music, how hard or how soft. Banging on that thing all day long. And that's what you and I are if we do not have love for one another. Nobody wants to hear that. So it doesn't matter how eloquent your preaching is. It doesn't matter how amazed people walk out of a service and they say, wow, that is phenomenal. If you do not have love, doesn't matter. This older brother says, I have worked, I have toiled, I have not gone against one of your commandments. And in his mind, that is what God was looking for. His righteousness through work. And he missed the whole point of family and being in Abba's house. nearly out of time. There's another thing here, me again. He says, that the, the older brother says, he says, you never gave me even a young goat. He says, man, the fatted calf, wow, this guy who spends all the money runs away. You give him the fatted calf, you never gave me a young goat so that me and my friends could make merry. My question is, he received double of what his brother received through the inheritance. In the Hebrew culture, the older boy gets two times than the younger because he has to take over the family, has to look after the family. That's Hebrew tradition. So he got double what the younger brother got. Could he not have gone out and bought a silly young goat? But he's holding on to that inheritance, not using it. He's holding, saying, look at my inheritance. This is mine. Use it. No, 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 no. Man, you've got love. Use the love. I'm not going to give love. No, that's my inheritance. It's mine. He could have gone and bought a goat. My next question is, he says, 
I didn't make merry with my friends. My question is, did you really have friends? That's just me. <laughs> did he really have friends? I'll tell you why, because in Proverbs here, if we can find this. Uh, let me see here. Proverbs 18.24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Just by reading this, does this sound like a guy you want to hang around with? When you and your family choose, okay, we're going on a holiday. Yeah, let's take the older brother. How fun would that be? Because if you want to have friends, you need to be friendly. And I hear many times people, they don't understand me. They don't like, well, that's not what the word says. So did he really have friends? Because he says, he's with a harlot. He knows everything over there. He says, I have so, not so. He says, I have friends and I never, did he have friends? That I could have made merry. Is he maybe so? Maybe he does have friends. I'm reading into this. Maybe he does have friends. But when they say, hey, come over this Friday. We're going to have a party. I can't. I've got to work. I've got a prayer meeting I've got to go to. It's good to go to prayer meetings. But when you can go somewhere else and love on someone, but because you have to be there, and I can't miss it because what are they going to say in my reputation? I've got to be there, so I can't have any fun. Don't go out here saying that I'm not telling you to go to prayer meetings because people hear stuff all the time. <laughs> but there are things that you can do for other people in love rather than being self-righteous and getting little marks on your list to say to someone one day, well, I didn't go there because I was at the prayer meeting. And meanwhile, people are looking for the photo of Jesus over there, trying to find who's the real Jesus. What do you carry in your heart? He chooses suffering and isolation over restoration. You know, a lot of people, life is just so hard because I'm a Christian. Man, it's just so hard here because, you know, people at my work because I'm a Christian. So, okay, come, let's do, no, 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 leave me here. Dad says, come in, let's be merry. No, 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 leave me here. And he suffers in isolation. He goes beyond what the Father does, the grace. And he looks at laws and righteousness. I'll close with this verse because it's 12. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 19. We spoke about this last week. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us. Whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a painter, a mechanic, a teacher, you have the ministry of reconciliation wherever you go. And this brother, instead of having the ministry of reconciliation, it was self-righteousness. So when grace enters and the younger brother comes back and they're all happy, he would rather be unhappy working by himself, wishing and hoping that somebody would notice. Please see me work. And there's a party happening inside the house, but he refuses to go. The saddest thing about this story for me is this, because the father says to the Pharisee's son, the older son, he calls him son. So he's a son, even though he's acting wrong. The father calls the younger brother son, even though he is wherever he is, whatever he's doing. The father never lost sight of their sonship. 
because of their actions, whether the one was self-righteous, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, who never did anything wrong, or the other one who blew the inheritance, the father never lost the revelation of who they were to him. But at the end of the story, only one of the sons came back into the house. Even though the older one was called a son by his father, he refused to go in to partake of what the father had prepared for him. That's a dangerous place to be. To disrespect the father because of the grace of the father towards other people. What's that guy that got in the boat and the fish swallowed him? Go and preach the gospel over there in Nineveh. I'm not going there because the only reason you want me to go is there because you want to save them. I know how gracious you are. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Gee whiz. Older brother syndrome. So let us be a people that always stay in the house. In Abba's house. Because it doesn't matter how good or how bad you were. If you are in the house, you partake of everything that he has. And let us be brothers and sisters that stay in the house and welcome when people come into the house and love and love and love on them rather than you went over there and we were here. And no. Jesus did not do that to one of us when we came back and said, man, I blew it. Can you forgive me again? Can you? It was love and love and love. Let us be a people that stay in Abba's presence in his house. Because out of all the gifts, the talents, everything you have, love is the greatest. And love never fails. Other things will fail. Other things, maybe one Sunday you don't preach well. You say the wrong thing. Maybe you lose your temper and whatever, but love never fails. Your gifts and your talents, uh, maybe sometimes not, but love. And this is how the world will know that you are my disciples, the love that you have one for another. Let's stand up. Father, we thank you for the love that you have bestowed upon us. Your word says, Lord, because of your love, now we can be called children of God. We thank you, Lord, for never forgetting who you made us to be, for never seeing anything else for the purpose you created us for, Lord, and you draw us towards that even though sometimes we stand on the outside of the house for whatever reason help our minds to see the truth so that we will never leave that when enticing things in the world say to us man your father's house is boring that you want to go out there help us to see the truth Lord that your spirit your life is just so full with love joy peace kindness that nothing else can give and offer Help us to be always like the Father in this parable that would love those around us, that we would speak to those, Lord, who are on the outside with love and compassion and invite them in because there's a feast inside your house. There's merry, there's music, there's dancing, there's family on the inside of your house. 
I just pray if someone is here right now, Lord, and the enemy is saying to them, oh, that's not for you. You know your work. You know what you're doing. That that lie would absolutely be blasted by the love of Christ right now. That we will see ourselves for who you have made us to be. That you hung on a cross for us so that we can walk into our sonship, our daughtership, and step into the inheritance that you have preordained for us to walk in. May we use our inheritance wisely. You have given us the mind of Christ. Help us to walk in that. Help us to use your mind every day, in every circumstance, so that you may be glorified. It's a silly example, Jesus, but I pray that you would be in our pocket all the time so that when we pick out this picture and this photo of you, that the world will see you for who you truly are because the world is looking for you as you are looking for the world. For God so loved the world that he came and gave his only begotten son. Help us to show that picture, the Jesus that came, the Jesus that cared, the Jesus that gave everything to win us back. Thanksgiving time of year now, Lord, and we just are so grateful toward you. We are so thankful. It's not just words. It's not a cliche, Lord, but where would we have been without you? Where would we have been without your grace, your blood, your mercy? Help us to never lose sight of who we are in your eyes and help us to never lose sight of who you are, Lord and Savior brother that sticks closer than a friend so we thank you and we love you we bless you we give you all the glory and the honor it's all for you and everything we ask and pray we do so in the amazing name above every other name that every knee shall bow to and every tongue shall confess that this jesus is lord to the glory of god amen